finger beard, finger beard, putting my finger in my beard. Oh, I got a notification with a question. <laughs> oh. Well, we haven't. We've been sitting here on Zoom for two hours and we haven't recorded a damn thing. <laughs> oh my lord. <laughs> not do the thing <laughs> you deceived me into singing the we did the thing song deceiver <laughs> are you up for doing it again i know my part now yes well we're recording it now <laughs> well you know what we're probably going to bash this out now we're going to be like bang 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 won't even need to edit alaska it'll be 30 minutes on the dot <laughs> All the nonsense is gone. It's only utter this month. Utter shambles. <laughs> Since we're doing it again anyway. <laughs> No, <laughs> that just does help. <laughs> Is it just because the lighting's different? It's just that not now. It seems to be struggling to recognise the green screen as green, I think, because it's now darker outside. But I've got like, I've got so many lights on. I've got a ring light, a big ring light. I've got a mini ring light. I've got a lamp over there. I've got the big light on. How much more lighting does it need? Yeah, okay, there's no way green screening for me works. Oh, well, I tried. <laughs> Alaska the court. And together we will rule the galaxy. Oh, well, we're back to the normal backgrounds. At least I took an effort to be on brand. Oh, wait. On brand. My face is on brand. That's all that matters. I feel so downtrodden. <laughs> It could have been worse. I could have not realised until the makeup was off. <laughs> oh God, that would have been worse actually. We could have had a celebrity guest and then we did them dirty by cutting them out. <laughs> I'll start. Yes, my dear, you're the odd one. I'm Sister Alaska Lots. And I'm Sister Babushka. And this is the most nonsense that is possible on Utter Nonsense because we're filming this for a second time after I forgot to hit record the first time. We did bring beards though. We did, we did bring fabulous beards. And this is where we're going to pour a cup of lukewarm tea. It was boiling two hours ago, but it's chilled now. And we're going to utter whatever nonsense pops back into our heads. As you may tell, this is a laid-back chat amongst good friends here. And we release a new episode on the first of the month every month. So make sure you subscribe and hit the bell notification so you get notified of when the next one is out. Ding-a-ling-a-ling! And you should do this because my beard now gives me that extra bit of privilege where everybody should listen to my opinions. That's right, you'll just be stopping everyone in the street and giving them an opinion whether they asked for it or not. <laughs> you can't use a spoon, it's too fruity! <gasps> Damn spoons! 
and today we had a slightly different episode for you. So normally we do lots of <laughs> daft nonsense, as the title of the show may give away. But this episode is going to be released on a very special day, um, and that is World AIDS Day, which is December 1st. Uh, so we thought it was only fitting that we mark the occasion by talking a little bit about World AIDS Day and what it means and why it's important. For those that don't know, World AIDS Day takes place, as Alaska mentioned, on the 1st of December every year. And it's an opportunity for people around the world to unite in the fight against HIV, to show support for people who are living with HIV, and to also commemorate those who have died from AIDS-related illnesses. It was founded in 1988, and it was actually the first ever Global Health Day. So it does make it quite an important one, and even more so for the sisters. Yes, because the sisters were founded back in 1979, and it was only two or three years when AIDS first hit. Um, and the sisters were very involved from the very beginning um, in supporting their community and helping to spread awareness and education about HIV and AIDS. Uh, the sisters were actually the first people to produce a pamphlet in plain accessible language about safer sex. The first candlelight vigil for AIDS was also put on by the sisters. And ever since then, um, the, the order has been raising money for related causes, um, educating people and raising awareness of sexual health. One other key aspect that the sisters um, around the world will usually have on them is the red ribbon. So obviously you can see that Alaska and I have got the ribbon as part of our makeup today, but also within our house, um, we also have the red ribbon as part of our gwim. And so we've always got it there front and centre. The colour red was chosen for its boldness and its symbolic associations with passion, the heart and love. Instead of colours normally associated with the LGBTQ plus community, such as pink or rainbow stripes, because they wanted to convey that HIV was relevant to everyone. And so this is something you will see on most sisters, they will always have the ribbon somewhere to remind us of the ongoing battle against HIV and also remind us about that love and compassion we should be treating each other with. Now, one of the things that we wanted to do today was share a little bit about our experiences and our memories. Um, we are certainly very conscious that um, we haven't lived through it the same way that people with an NHIV positive status have. So from a, one perspective, we're potentially outsiders, but it's something that um, has had a huge impact on the, the LGBTQ plus community overall. My experience as a sweet summer child growing up in the 90s, um, so just a baby still, right? <laughs> I can pretend before I hit 30, um, <laughs> was quite interesting in that there was nothing, um, basically nothing for me to learn about this growing up. In my family, it was a very cis-heteronormative family. You know, there were no queer relatives or nobody at least was out and open about it. There weren't any family friends and there wasn't anything in the public school system either because of 
the whole Tories section 28 and making sure that anything about being queer or anything related to cultures that weren't the nuclear family just weren't discussed. And so there was a huge part of my knowledge just missing. So there wasn't really nothing for the first decade, decade and a half of my life about anything related to, you know, LGBTQ+, let alone HIV and AIDS um, and the crisis that had happened and was still happening at the time when I was growing up. It's really weird as a sister to talk about because obviously for myself, I've never had that direct experience of either living through what was happening at the time or having that personal connection of having a family member, a close friend, dealing with the fallout of that. It's only as I've gotten older and I've been able to do my own research and my history that it's become more apparent just how widespread things were. But for a good 15 years of my life, complete silence. That's what makes it so interesting is that we we are both millennials, but because we're at opposite ends of that spectrum, um, there's almost a generation between us. And so although I was equally affected by Section 28 and the the lack of anything queer being mentioned in schools, um, I was around for some of the the media that happened around the peak of the AIDS epidemic that had a really profound effect on me. Um, And the thing that sticks in my mind the most is the government advert campaign that was done. And it's very rare that the British government does one of these, Um, but they they did one specifically around HIV and AIDS. A campaign that was very much based in homophobia and, you know, a lot of distrust and hate and uncomfortableness with people that were not cis-het normative. It was particularly hard-hitting. Um, I have to say, as a child, it was really terrifying. I suspect it was for adults as well. The virus can be passed during sexual intercourse with an infected person. Uh, I, I've got very strong images in my head of the, the tombstones. So far, it's been confined to small groups, but it's spreading and this tombstone falling to the ground and bells tolling. So protect yourself and read this leaflet when it arrives. If you ignore AIDS, it could be the death of you. So don't die of ignorance. It was really apocalyptic. Um, It's just so strange to think that was even something that was allowed on the TV back then. It helped to fuel the homophobic response to the HIV and AIDS epidemic. Um, I've got absolutely no doubts about that whatsoever. It struck fear into the nation as it was intended to do. Such a heavy-handed tactic compared to, at least on UK TVs now, what we see is, you know, adverts talking about coming together as a community, working together to protect ourselves as well as our national health service. You remember the adverts that they did a while back where um, it was about safe driving versus dangerous driving and it was these children like having a picnic in a park now and then when i see her face she takes me away to that special place and if i stayed too long i'd probably break down and cry and a car veers around the corner loses control and then flips over the wall 
and smashes into the children. And um, it was no, it was a really upsetting advert. So if people want to see it, it is on YouTube. You can find it, but I'm not adding it in here. And it was another one that was designed to upset people and scare them. And in a way that ad campaign reminded me of the AIDS one, just in how, how awful it was to watch. Like it's, those are some heavy handed tactics. Yeah. Just like terrifying. There were other bits of media that I remember from back then that um, had a more positive spin and were really very visible, I think, to the public. Um, one that most people will be aware of is uh, Princess Diana. So um, one of the many things that, that she did during her time was she was a supporter of raising awareness on um, HIV and AIDS and uh, would actively work to break the belief that AIDS can be shared by touch. It was something that a lot of people thought at the time, um, which is, is wrong because that it doesn't spread like that at all, but people were afraid that it could be spread through touch. And there was a really well-known photograph in 1991 that was printed that showed Princess Diana shaking hands with an AIDS patient and not wearing gloves while she was shaking hands with them. Just trying to dispel the myth that, you know, something as simple as shaking hands would put you at risk. It's interesting that you men mentioned Princess Diana because obviously as a, as a young 90s child, I had no idea who Princess Diana was, or anything about the royal family to be fair. But there was still a point when Diana um, passed my mother still took me along to Hollywood Palace in Edinburgh to lay flowers. And obviously at the time, not realizing how big a deal that was and the outpouring of grief from the nation, you know, not just from the LGBTQ plus community, but other parts of society that also felt she was really in touch with the more, you know, the, the people. She actually really was influential in combating that stigma one other person that I know of that challenged the sort of stigma that it was a, a gay disease um, was hearing about the, and forgive me, I'm not a big sports fan, so please forgive if I get it wrong, but I believe the, the NBA basketball player in America, uh, Magic Johnson, when he confirmed that he was HIV positive, he had a wife and a kid, and it was actually through multiple sexual partners, you know, and just being a bit careless with protection um, when engaging in activities. It wasn't anything to do with being, you know, a certain sexuality. And again, that challenged the dominating narrative at the time of it's a gay person's problem, it's a gay disease, it's, you know, mm. all of that horrible stuff that was being said, which again was rooted in that societal homophobia the time. It contrasts really sharply with um, other high profile people who did have HIV and who passed away from AIDS um, like Freddie Mercury. Although it's so well known that that's what he died from, he actually wasn't very public about it. In fact, he kept it hidden for as long as he could and he only announced his status very shortly before his death. And a lot of that was due to the fear and the, the stigma and the guilt that was placed on people and still is for having an HIV positive status. Yeah, the fact that even Freddie Mercury, who we all know um, passed from it, had to hide it to make sure that his career was still going up until the very final hour. It's just 
yeah, very disheartening to even think that, that was a mindset that society thought was okay. It always makes me really sad because I wonder, you know, how different it could have been if he had felt the ability to be more public with it and, you know, be more of a, a spokesperson and, and help spread awareness and dispel myths and things. But he was a victim of that shame, just like many, many other people were at the time. The amount of suffering that those people went through, you know, the fear of losing their family, their friends, you know, loved ones. It's just so strange to imagine how how differently things could have played out. Yeah, and the, the media played a huge hand in that portrayal of um, gay men as, as being sinful and having brought this upon themselves and perpetuating that guilt and that stigma. And there was, there was quite a... A difference in the way other people that were reported as being innocents um, and one that particularly sticks in my mind is Ryan White who was a, a teenage boy who had haemophilia and um, he was from America and he was infected with HIV due to a contaminated blood treatment and so because he wasn't a gay man because it was just infected blood treatments that that actually gave him HIV in the first place, he was portrayed as an innocent versus the gay men who were seen to have brought it upon themselves. When he first contracted it, his school basically rebelled against him attending um, because they were afraid about it being passed on to other people. Again, because people had lots of misconceptions about how it was spread. He was then catapulted into the media spotlight because he was seen as an innocent. Yeah, it's strange to try and categorise or stigmatise people that do deserve a disease and don't deserve a disease. There was um, quite a few really famous singers and things who befriended him and you know spoke about his cause and the one I remember seeing was uh, Michael Jackson. Now your thoughts on Michael Jackson befriending uh, teenage boys is, is separate <laughs> separate discussion but for this particular one what I remember is uh when the boy passed away, Michael Jackson wrote a song in his honour and paid tribute to him. And I remember seeing it on the TV, but it was very different from the way gay men were treated. No one was writing tributes to them because they weren't seen to be innocent. You would think that the idea would be, it's not whether or not you deserve it or don't deserve it. It's about this person is ill. We need to help them. The fact that society allowed its biases and its stigmas to basically affect a whole generation is just absolutely abhorrent and you know shouldn't be done I mean you should be rallying around people when there is an illness you work towards defeating the illness and it's it's obviously very interesting just now living through the current pandemic again as a comparison yeah, I do think that the AIDS epidemic um, has had a lasting impact on the LGBTQ plus community. And there's that kind of shared history and understanding that when you are faced with something like COVID-19, like HIV, that we need to support the, the vaccines and the treatments and the preventions, the testing. It's been interesting to watch how quickly our community has went yes we need to do this to protect everyone's health we need to work together to protect each other and survive this 
it's also worth noting that media coverage has changed over the years. So although it was very doom and gloom um, during the, the peak of the AIDS crisis, there have been more positive representations in more recent media. So we've had maybe both good and bad representation throughout the years in the background with, you know, French films like 120 Beats Per Minute, um, Angels in America, uh, I think Cucumber, you know, other shows, TV, books that have happened throughout the years, but they've all been more niche. One example that I can think of is a series on Channel 4 in the UK called It's a Sin. The series follows a group of friends who are navigating the AIDS crisis in 1980s London. And uh, this series has actually received a particularly large amount of praise from the queer community. Coronation Street recently had a HIV storyline played out. And that actually, the character Seb was told that, you know, with the correct treatment and such, you can live a long and happy life. It really reflects just how far media has come in its portrayal of queer people's lives and those living with HIV in particular. The fact that we've even seen in media the change from, you know, you're going to die, it's a typical bury your gaze trope of, oh, we've got a queer character, oh, they're going to get AIDS, they're going to die. We can now have representation that shows that you can live a normal and full life, even if you do contract this illness, because it is now manageable. It is really nice to see that there has been a bit of a change in the narrative around this in the media, because um, back in the day, um, in the 1980s and 90s, the press contributed, I would say, to really shocking treatment of people who were living with HIV, um, with all the scare tactics and um, misinformation. There are stories of like HIV people being asked to get out of ambulances and walk to hospital, uh, graffiti being sprayed onto people's houses of those who were even just suspected of having HIV, bricks being thrown through windows and people being forced to move home. Like it was, it was awful. So progress is very much welcomed. However, I think it's also really important to note that there is still areas that need a lot of improvement. And one of the ones that is most pertinent at the moment is the coverage of trans people in today's media, because it very much echoes that of gay men in the early 1980s. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that, Alaska, that although things have improved in the media for not just HIV and AIDS representation, but other parts of queer culture, there are still huge leaps to be made. The way they're portrayed, they're portrayed as a potential threat, which is very, very reminiscent of the way gay men were smeared as threats to the public back at the height of the AIDS epidemic. And the fact that we still have to keep fighting against these things, um, you know, it... It is frustrating that the media is so against um, people and set out to stigmatise and demonise people when it really should just be, you know, coming together to support everyone. It really, really boggles the mind in 2021. Yeah, like even recent coverage of PrEP, um, which is the kind of pre-exposure drug that's taken by HIV negative people to reduce their chances of contracting HIV, um, in some bits of the media, that was dubbed as the promiscuity pill, which just shows that 
there's there's still a lot of stigma there that is perpetuated by the media. So we need to do better, folks. <laughs> Where's my? Stop taking away my beard. Oh, okay, I got it. <laughs> Found it. <laughs> Privilege is hard to come by these days. Really is. <laughs> so on short supply, it seems. <laughs> Only enough for the white men. Obviously, HIV has had a really profound effect on the queer community, and the sisters have historically been involved in, you know, promotion of education and safer sex supplies and things like that. And that's something that we still do to this day. We still do education. Um, that's what this episode is for today. <laughs> You'll often see sisters doing something called condom ministry, which is handing out condoms to people in places like pubs and clubs um, in order to help encourage people to engage in sexual activities safely. And we also engage in things like raising funds for related organisations as well. And so we just wanted to go through some of the things to help educate you on how HIV is transmitted, how it's not transmitted, and other ways you can keep yourself safe. And so the main ways in which HIV can be passed from person to person is either through unprotected um, adult activities, which I'm sure you can imagine what those are, kids. <laughs> Key way to help prevent the spread of HIV from person to person is to use protection. So make it part of your regular toolkit, know your status, ask your partner's status through the shaving of equipment when using mm -hmm. recreational substances. One of the key things there is actually to remember to use your own equipment, not share equipment with other people. Obviously, we're not recommending that you should, but um, should you wish to, please be safe. <laughs> yes. Um, and actually, one of the main things happening at the moment in Glasgow is there is a rise in HIV cases, and that is all through the use of this injecting equipment and being shared amongst people. Apparently it was the same back in the day in Edinburgh as well. Another possible way of catching HIV, um, and this one is specific for a HIV mother uh, to her child. Um, so during pregnancy, birth, and breastfeeding, that can be a potential risk factor. But with the right treatment and care during pregnancy and birth, uh, and also by not breastfeeding, if you are HIV positive, um, you can actually almost possibly prevent the passing of HIV from mother to child. It is always best to talk to your midwife, the doctor, whoever is your healthcare professional in this capacity, to see what the best way of preventing that spread is to your child. The other possible way that HIV is passed is obviously through blood transfusions and um, when that's needed. Obviously in the UK, um, blood is now screened, so it is not a risk in the UK. It can still be a risk in other places depending on the healthcare standard, so it's always best double checking these things as well wherever you live. Was there not a ban on gay men giving blood? Yeah, it was actually really funny. As a, as a teenager growing up, I remember if you are a man and you've ever had sex with men, we're not taking your blood. No questions asked. Which was, you know, in response to HIV. But instead of trying to be clever about it or screening, they literally just blanket said, no, nope, no, nope, that's it, you're banned. <laughs> no blood from you. But recently it has changed to if you're a man and you've engaged in sexual activities with a man in the last 12 months, we won't accept it. 
otherwise they they will consider it. Wow, you think that they would be able to screen it better, wouldn't you? Like if you've got other conditions that can hang around, um, like malaria, you're allowed to give blood if you've had malaria. I know I checked. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to be celibate for 12 months and give blood, that is fine. But there is still a way to go. It's weird. Societal homophobia. Whee! Now, for some of the ways that you'll never catch HIV, and we thought these would be interesting to share because obviously some of these are based on old stigmas that were around at the time. One thing that can't be passed through is saliva, which means that kissing and also through mouth-to-mouth resuscitation or spitting, also sneezing and coughing, because HIV isn't airborne. It's during COVID, maybe just where you might face mask people. <laughs> Don't be nasty. Pandemic. <laughs> As we've also talked about, touch is totally fine. It's a weird one, isn't it? I do particularly remember that the fears about things being spread through using the same toilet as someone else. I don't know why that one sticks in my mind. Maybe because it was a particularly odd one, but that was a real fear that that people had. <laughs> it's just so weird to think people were so afraid of using the same phone or you know, the same cutlery, because I've definitely heard stories about people being asked to use different forks and spoons, or people obsessively wiping down their phone. I suppose back in the early days, people just didn't know any better, because, you know, viruses and things can be spread in different ways. And when you look at COVID-19, it can stay on surfaces for, you know, a limited period of time. And I would hesitate to share cutlery with someone else if it's just been in their mouth I'm not putting it in <laughs> it was ignorance people didn't know and people are afraid of what they don't know which explains many different things in our society today <laughs> none of these can pass on HIV other pandemic rules do apply then the last little bit that we wanted to educate people on is the other potential factors that can help lower the risk um, of transmission of HIV One, condoms, condoms, condoms do significantly help reduce the risk of acquiring HIV. Knowing your status is key. Getting tested is the only way to know for sure whether or not you have HIV. And knowing your status just helps you make healthy decisions um, to help prevent getting or transmitting HIV. And if you are HIV positive, means that you can get treated so you can have a good quality of life. Other things um, that can also help lower the risk of transmission is the use of antiretroviral viral medications. So there are two of these. One is um, PrEP, and that is taken before exposure. So this is helping to significantly reduce the risk of acquiring HIV. There is also PET, which is another form of antiretroviral medication, but this one is taken post-exposure. It needs to be within 72 hours of potential exposure. So if at any point you think that you may have been exposed, it's really important that you don't wait and that you um, ask for access to PET as soon as possible making sure you're getting that effective treatment and speaking to your healthcare professionals. Mm -hmm. It's important to know that there is treatment available and that um, within just six months, you can get down to that uh, undetectable level, which means that you're not passing it on to partners. There's a campaign 
um, that's been around for a couple of years now, which is U equals U, which stands for undetectable equals untransmittable. And this is all about raising the awareness, the fact that when people with HIV are taking effective treatment, the viral load can actually reduce significantly uh, to a point where it's almost, un it's basically undetectable within the body. And so what that means is if it's not detectable, it's not transmittable either. Just generally educating people about HIV and um, how to stay safe and what to do in the event of potential exposure is really important. I mean, the education will help people um, develop and maintain safer behaviours, but also just generally will help reduce stigma and discrimination towards people who are affected by or are living with HIV. That's meowing at me in the background. <laughs> I wondered what that noise was. Oh, darling. That kind of Siamese type loud shout at you, raspy voice. <laughs> Let's wrap this up, just like you should wrap up your tool. Now, there's the campaign slogan for you. <laughs> Don't be a fool. Wrap up your tool. I think you missed your calling in life. <laughs> I think I've actually stolen that from something, but I cannot remember where. <laughs> so. Yeah. Are you going to tell them? We would just like to say a great big thank you to everyone who's watched the entire video. Um, obviously, we will share the link to the resource that we've been using today, which has a lot more information on HIV and AIDS. Maybe you remember some of the, the media that we've mentioned today. Maybe you know people who are affected by HIV or have lost someone. So yeah, whatever you got out of the video today, thank you very much. And um, if you're willing to consider it, maybe share it with other people just to help with that education and sharing information with people to try and further destigmatize it. If you're going to take one thing away from this, Make sure you know your status and be safe. That is the key thing we want so that we can make sure that we're reducing the number of HIV and AIDS cases across the world so that we can meet that 2030 target. And for next episodes, we thought that um, today it's been a rather more serious topic, let's be honest. So let's inject a little bit more nonsense. So what shall we talk about next time? Well, what could be more fun than getting Google auto-generated questions and answering them all about nuns. I wouldn't believe the things that people ask about nuns. <laughs> yes, so we are going to be finding Google's most asked questions about nuns, and we're going to be answering them for us. <laughs> and Sister Joan might even be making an appearance again with a couple of jokes she's found from the internet about nuns. What could go wrong? We can't wait. <laughs> Did we actually do the thing? Did we do the thing? Or are you trying to time? trick me? I think we did the thing. Oh my Again. God. We did the thing times two. <laughs> we did the thing. 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 <laughs> <laughs>